0: Hi everybody, you're listening to the Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show.
1: This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, turn off now.
0: Shockingly, this podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it. You can find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast.
1: And as you might know, Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom, and we're rope partners who've been practicing together for um, just over three years, and we're excited to share our passion for rope with you. Uh, and usually, we're both in the beautiful country of Thailand, but today, um, I'm actually recording from somewhere else.
0: That's sad, Maya. It is sad. It is sad. I'd sure
1: rather be in Thailand, um, but uh, you know, the bunny has to travel.
0: I see you being secretive and not telling our dear listeners where you are, so they have the surprise when the Rope Touristing episode drops.
1: Yes, I think there will be a Rope Touristing episode from this trip, hopefully, if Saturday night goes okay.
0: All right. Fingers crossed. Um, Today, Maya, we are talking about a subject that is quite close to our own hearts, um, because we are talking about power exchange in rope.
1: We certainly are. So, Um, Maya... Why is
0: it? What is it, Maya? What is power exchange?
1: Uh, Well, amazingly, it is the exchange of power between two parties. So um, it's a choice that um, two people make to um, have one person uh, take more power in the relationship than the other person. Uh, And so the two people are not equals in certain areas by Mm. design.
0: In certain areas, because you first define the scope of what your power yeah. exchange is going to be, right
1: yeah, and so for some people um it's just in the bedroom for some people um it includes certain numbers of areas of their life, but not others i mean it it's as varied as the people who do it essentially
0: mm. all right uh there are different can we say, flavors of power exchange, like yeah. different labels people use, different yeah. imagery that goes with that. So for instance, one could be a dominant and the other one could be a submissive.
1: Yeah, and that's very common. That's I would say maybe one of the
0: more common ones. And to be clear, it's nothing to do with gender. You can be a female dominant, you can be a yeah. male dominant, you can be yeah. anywhere on the gender spectrum, and that doesn't inform in any way whether you're dominant or submissive or neither you can also be a master and a slave could also be daddy and little girl or mommy and little boy or any mix and match daddy little boy mommy little girl yeah you, you do you uh <laughs> can be owner and property can be handler and pet we we see that one once in a while in our own yeah and the pet
1: can be any any flavor you like
0: yeah can be a dog <laughs> can be a cat can be a dog cat can be anything uh what about rigor and bunny though
1: well, rigging body is not um, a power exchange. Uh, it's what we call top and bottoming, which we're going to talk about in a second. Um, but it's a tricky one because um, it, it can be cumulative in terms of how you do it, and we, that's really the uh, flavour of the episode that we're going to talk about. Like where uh, power exchange and the topping and bottoming that own rope kind of connect and how they overlap.
0: So you can be a rigger little girl with a bottom daddy, for instance.
1: You can be a rigger little girl with a bottom daddy. Yep, you totally can.
0: All right. So Maya, this is a rope podcast and we're a podcast about rope. Uh, so we're not going to delve super deep into the details of what power exchange is or how to do it and so on. But there are many nice resources if our dear listeners are interested in that, right?
1: Yeah, um, and one that I listen to particularly is uh, the Loving BDSM podcast, um, which has a lot of um, backlist of building BDSM relationships and mm-hmm. is a great resource, and I'll put that in the notes if people want to uh, go a bit deeper into power exchange.
0: And the beautiful southern accent from the hosts. I, I do yes. enjoy listening to that one as well. Uh, okay, uh, so... Let's start um uh, unpacking that topic a bit. The top is not always the D type. And by D type, that's a placeholder, could be dominant, could be master, could be anyone who's on who's receiving the extra power as opposed to giving it, right?
1: Yeah. So I think maybe we should define top and bottom also.
0: Alright. So what's the top and what's the bottom, Maya?
1: Um in terms of um BDSM, we use top and bottom to um, say which is the actor the person doing mm-hmm. and which is the person receiving so top is usually the actor the person doing the activity and the bottom is the person receiving the activity so in terms of rope the top is the rigor mm-hmm. and the bottom is the uh, model or bunny um, or bottom Um I do find it just as an aside I do find it interesting that we tend to say rigor and Rope bottom, like the the word for bottom is bunny, which is so much, which I feel has a power dynamic like involved in it. If you talk about a rope versus a bunny, Mm -hmm. there's already a certain type of language you're using, which I think is fascinating. So, Mm -hmm. um, really, the most neutral way to describe people is a rope top and a rope bottom. Yes. Um, but people take on different personas within and, that.
0: And the thing with the bunny word is, some people love it and some people hate it. Like there's a whole yeah. range of uh, effects attached to that word for different people.
1: Yeah. And what I would say is, if you're describing someone else, use rope top and rope bottom. Mm-hmm. If you're just, if you're choosing how to describe yourself, like I like the word bunny because fox bunny. Um, then you can choose whatever you want. But if you're describing someone else, you don't have the right to call them a bunny. <laughs>
0: Okay, that's interesting, and I would actually agree with that. And like, if you're organizing a rope jam, maybe don't say, "Oh, we'd like three more bunnies." Maybe say, "We'd like three more bottoms." Yeah, that, that would be that would be a pro tip from Maya right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say something that might be obvious to some people and not obvious to other people, and that is, there is no inherent exchange to the act of tying someone up with rope
1: yes um so this is an interesting one and we've come across a lot of um, people disagreeing
0: yes definitely <laughs>
1: um so we both believe that that you can have that any act that you do mm-hmm. can be um, a dominant act or a submissive act yep um the act itself is neutral, um, but it's how you come to that um, activity that creates the power exchange. Would you agree with that?
0: I would agree with that. And I have an example, and okay. it's perfect because it's a dirty one. <laughs> and we know what our dear listeners like, so let's, let's roll with it. Um, just, let's like it. So there is a certain position to give oral sex to a partner, which is referred to among other things as face sitting. Yeah. And it is quite often seen in erotica or in pornography used as an act of dominance from the person who is receiving the oral sex upon the person who is giving it. Right? Um. Yeah, okay. But yes. actually in practice, I find that if I'm the person giving the oral sex and the person is sitting on my face. Uh, it's super comfortable for me. Uh, I have my hands free, so I can uh, use my hands on them to give them pleasure, to give them pain. It gives me a lot of control of how the oral sex is proceeding. I can move their body around. I can hold them down. Uh, And let's be honest, what amount of control does that person have when their naughty bits are in the middle of my teeth? Also, what I mean? have I have some pretty sharp teeth, so anyone who has <laughs> their genitals in my mouth kind of knows that I have, I have the control in that situation.
1: Yes, although ironically you also have the control if your genitals are in their mouth.
0: Yeah, which is the whole point, right? We can imbue an act with domination or with submission, depending on who is in charge, depending on why we're doing it, like, is... Mm-hmm. Is the woman sitting on my face because I asked her to? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, and the attitude and mannerism and eroticism you put around it is going to color it as domin- dominant or submissive. And it's not like, okay, that act is always one or always the other, which then turns into the most ugly corollary, which is if you're a dumb, you can never ask a woman to sit on your face because that would be a subby thing to do.
1: Yeah, and you can never do a whole load of things. But yeah. We've come across this even recently.
0: Yeah, we do all the time. We get the dummy dumb, which you, oh, you can't do that if you're a dumb, because obviously a dumb would never do that. And we're like, well, yeah. dudes, like you're restricting your own options and you're actually giving up freedom and control. So how much and of a dumb does that make you?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So it's interesting because there are definitely some acts which people see as more uh, along this spectrum. And of course, mm-hmm. rope is one of them. So yeah. if you ask, and a lot of people i mean i'm going, going to
0: consider. i'm going to be fair and admit immediately that probably 95% of role yes. that is done with power exchange or more uh is the dominant tying the submissive this is the majority but the message here today is the majority is not the only way
1: yes yes so can you give an example of how um how it might work the other way around because it does seem Unintuitive, I think for most people.
0: Yes. Uh, so let's talk about um, an, a real life example that involves rope this time. Uh, for the last two kink play parties we went to, we tied some chest harnesses for decorative purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so let's look at a situation where one person ties a chest harness on another person for decoration to make a pretty costume for a party. But who's the dumb and who's the sub in that scenario? And the answer is you can't know with, without more context, because who is in charge? Who is deciding? Who decided that this chest harness would be tied for that party? Could be either, right? Who decided that the rigger needed to learn the skill to tie that particular harness for that particular party? Well, maybe the rigger decided to learn it, but maybe the rigger is a slave and his mistress has ordered him to learn that harness because that mistress wanted this beautiful harness on her body to decorate her, to adorn her for the party. Um, Who decides how it's tied? How tight? Where does the rope go? Once again, that could be the top, that could be the bottom. And who decides when it's time for the harness to come off? Once again, could be either party, right? Yeah. And the answer to those questions is going to be what determines if there's a power exchange happening, what direction is it in?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think people mostly just don't think about that, and I think it's a really interesting thing to kind of bring out to people. Yep,
0: yeah, yeah, we're quite happy to be talking about that today. So Maya, we see power exchange as a rather nice thing, you and I, because we've been doing it a while, right?
1: We do, yes. So okay. We've been in a power exchange relationship for we're, uh, well, of some sort for all of our relationship, but
0: yeah. Yeah, you kind of uh you kind of fell into it pretty fast, didn't you? Yeah,
1: apparently. But anyway, only twenty four seven for a couple of years.
0: <laughs> oh, right. Let's let's pretend that's the case. Uh, <laughs> okay. so for us power exchange is a very positive thing, but can it also bring some more negative sides in the context of rope? Some more risks yes. maybe.
1: Yeah, so it's um an interesting one because um in rope um, obviously, we know that this is something where physically there are a lot of risks mm. um, and your rigor can't be in the or your top can't be in the bottom's head. Um, yeah. And so if the um, top is controlling everything and the bottom isn't allowed to say anything. So mm-hmm. in this case, a dom sub relationship, yeah. then there is the potential to miss um Nerve warning signs, nerve issues. Um, they might not be able to hold a suspension more. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some there's some issues, in terms of how, the rigger makes sure that he or she gets the feedback that they need to run a safe rope
0: scene. Mm-hmm. Because for some submissives, uh, they can feel that giving this kind of feedback might make them a bad sub or something like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like I would say this is a challenge. Um I would hold a suspension or a difficult position longer for you than I would for anyone else because mm. you know, I'm trying not to say word, I'm trying to um please you generally. Yes. So there's a real balance between the dominant rigor making sure he or she enables the submissive to safe word and Mm -hmm. and give feedback on the safety of the position. And there's also um, a piece around the rigor being experienced enough to know, and I'm, I'm not sure you can ever know fully, but you know, the more they know their bottom, the better that the submissive is just complaining because they're uncomfortable versus it's dangerous.
0: Yeah, I don't think expecting dominance to be mind readers is the best bet.
1: I agree, but you. Yeah. But then, like, let's in terms of our scenes, then I'm always saying, like, it hurts. Whatever. Mm-hmm. L- like, where the line is between, you have to then say to your submissive, if you're in danger, you have to sub, you have to say words.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You have to create. I would say a positive affirmation framework around the fact that it's okay for you submissive to safe word, it's okay for her to give you feedback as the rope is happening. It does not make her a bad submissive to tell you, oh, this is hurting too much, or I have this weird feeling in my fingers. It's the opposite. It's making her a good submissive for giving you the inputs that you need to take good decisions, because the best dumb in the world is not going to be able to take good decisions if he's taking them based on wrong information or on no information. So by providing your dumb with the information he needs and then letting him decide or her decide on how to act on them, you're being a good sub, not a bad sub.
1: Yeah, but people are human and it's a really tough ask, I think, for rigors or for dominance to make sure that they consistently do that because Mm -hmm. they get disappointed or they get sad or they get frustrated, or, you know, even though they're not in the person's head, they think that the submissive is not pushing themselves enough, like, and micro-expressions are going to be able to be subconsciously readable by the submissive, so I think... Well, if def- if
0: your bottom is a freaking psychologist magic bunny, it is.
1: <laughs> I was making it general. Yeah, you failed. specific. Yeah. Anyway, um so yes, this is definitely one of the, the risks. So making sure that your submissive um gives feedback, sees yeah. that as a positive thing, um definitely.
0: And you have to um you have to educate your submissive that you're okay with it, you have to be careful what message you're sending around that, because it's also as you said very easy to say one thing with your words and show <laughs> a slightly different message with your emotions with your expressions so yeah like being deeply being deeply convinced that is the case and being coherent with your message is really important as a dominant on that one
1: yeah yeah
0: hey guys this is fox coming in for a short break we really love making this world podcast and sharing it with you sadly hosting a podcast isn't free far from it actually so if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at RopePodcast.com. you find ways to buy rope stuff so that we get a cut from your purchases and also ways to donate to us directly. And if you can't afford to do that, that's okay too. Just enjoy the podcast. Now back to our normal programming. So my question. Uh, we like the approach of saying that a rope scene is a shared responsibility between the top and the bottom, right? Yes, we do. In the context of a strong power exchange, does it change that?
1: Um, I think so, but I think there's things that you can do to mitigate that. So so by definition, in a power exchange, the dominant has more power. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the level of power have to be agreed between those two people so that does affect it it's not going to be the same for everyone um but i think that at the end of the day the dominant rigor in this case is the person who calls time on the scene um and so they have that responsibility but it's extremely rare for submissives or s types um so when we say dominant and submissive, I'm going to say again, we mean D types and S types. Absolutely. Um, but dominant and submissive, again, is our uh, format currently. So we that's what we use. Uh, so apologies to our audience. Um, so Apologies the, to all
0: the Kajiras out there. We, we feel for sisters. Oh, yeah, we didn't sisters. even
1: mention that. There's so many different types. Um, so anyway, so the submissive still will usually have a safe word. So the safe word is a responsibility Mm -hmm. of the submissive or the S-type and they need to be able to know that they can um, safe word if things are dangerous. However,
0: they can or they must?
1: uh, I guess if it's dangerous they must.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, One one of the things I was going to say is actually the dominant potentially can mitigate their risk more um, than a typical top because the dominant can, um, through the power exchange, uh, ensure that the submissive um, educates himself. Um They can ensure that they understand rope. Mm-hmm. They have a lot more power to make sure that the uh, submissive has the information that they need to be a safe um, rope bottom. And honestly, a lot of rope bottoms, um, you know, I'm not sure certainly that we see. <laughs> We have new bottoms hand themselves over without that education, and and that seems a lot less safe to me. So, I actually think, Hmm. even though on one level there's more responsibility for the dominant, there's also more possibility for them to make things safe for them them
0: both. In the sense that they can order their submissive person to read this or listen to Rope Podcast Episode Zero before attempting (laughs) it, maybe. Okay, interesting. I like that perspective. Yeah. What so, do you think about that? Dumb guys, Just... you heard it here first. If you want to be safe, have your submissive buttons. Listen to the Rope podcast first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, um, what, do you, what
1: do you think about that? Like, So in our power exchange, um, you do have the responsibility for stopping a scene, and we do some pretty risky stuff. So how do you feel about that shared responsibility model?
0: I think in many cases, there might be an underlying kind of power exchange-ish vibe between two play partners that is not been made explicit or been made visible because it's not a relationship but it is still a dummy person playing with a subby person. Yeah, okay. And that's in that grey area that some of the risks seem to happen I think. Because yeah, okay. I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel super comfortable uh, meeting someone at a munch, and we're going to do some rope after the munch, and tell her, okay, I'm ordering you to read this pamphlet nerve no, no. damage. Because no. it's not my place, I'm not their dominant. No. Uh, but truth be told, sometimes they are a bit subby as a person, and their attitude kind of is, oh, Mr. Big Rigger, I'm putting my body between your hands because I trust you to keep me safe. Yeah, uh, nightmare. And that's where... I have
1: a real bit on it about
0: that. Yeah? Why is that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> 'Cause I think even as a bottom who plays as a in a more subby way, um, mm-hmm. which probably I do, you still have a responsibility to understand the risks of the things that you're doing. Like you just do I would
0: it. agree with that. I mean it's not rack if you're not aware of the risk, right? It's kind of the first yeah. two letters of rack. So rack if, if you're not familiar, is the risk aware consensual kink. So yeah, have to be aware of the risks.
1: Right. It, 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 I mean, I've certainly heard women say to you, oh, I trust you, with extremely limited experience of, A, playing with you, mm-hmm. um, and B, limited experience of what they're actually trusting you about. And it's really difficult, because on the one hand, I think uh, that you're a very safe player, considering the risky play that you do. But on the other hand, they don't know that.
0: I mean, well, A, thank you, <laughs> And B, it's not specific to me. Uh, we've heard the same message uh, with all kinds of rigors being trusted by all kinds of newer buttons. Yeah, so it's yeah, not it's fuck-specific yeah. it as a phenomenon.
1: No, it's just it annoys me most, right. obviously, with you mm-hmm. because I don't want you exposed to that. Mm-hmm. The risk of a bottom who I don't think can be trusted to know what they're doing. Yeah, uh, I, I think that even in a power exchange rope scene, your bottom has a responsibility to understand what's, what they're doing, even if they don't actually they're not the one running the scene.
0: Uh, yeah, I would agree. Uh, one thing you might want to be wary of if you're mixing power exchange and rope is when situations can potentially turn abusive.
1: Okay, so tell us a bit about that, because that
0: sounds important. Uh, Yeah, it's important on two levels. It's important because, A, you don't want to actually be abusive, and, B, even if you're not, because some people are not big fans of power exchange, they might accuse you uh, of being abusive. And I'm not talking about your play partner saying you did a bad thing. I'm talking about a third party that has nothing to do with it, saying, oh, those two, the way they are playing is abusive. And so yeah. both the reality of the abuse and the bad reputation of it are things you're gonna to want to mitigate against.
1: So how do we mitigate I mean obviously we don't wanna um we don't want abuse in our rope scene and I mean you only have to look at Fet Life and the rope scene to see that it happens a lot or it has God, yes, a it does. So how do we make sure that our scenes are respectful, both parties, and that they are truly uh rack?
0: I would say we make sure to always have one or several safe words. Uh, They are very useful. They're not quite enough because not all bottoms are able to use safe words when they're deep in rope space. So you have to have a conversation about do you feel you'll be able to safe word. Uh, Can be good to go lighter on first things and see how nonverbal the bottom might go and so on. So Do you that think works. that
1: um it's safe to play with? Like, this is another area where I have a lot of concerns about. Do mm-hmm. you think that a bottom that can't say for it is a safe player?
0: It's a higher liability and every individual has to decide and hopefully decide conjointly between the top and the bottom what level mm-hmm. of liability is acceptable. But you know that you're opening yourself up to bigger risk, um you decide whether or not to take that risk and whether or not it's worth it for you is my answer. Then I would advise for both the top and the bottom to educate yourself even harder about consent and what constitutes valid consent. Read a book, attend a workshop, practice it, because this is going to be important if after the fact someone tells you, oh what what you did to that person wasn't consensual, well, it's important to have a good understanding of what consent is mm-hmm. and what makes it valid. And I would recommend, I'm not going to do a whole episode on that, but I would recommend looking at the FRIES model that's been put out by American Planned Parenthood. It's my favorite model of looking at consent, and you can easily find it on the internet. And I'm sure Maya will uh, I will link find to it for a link, yeah. Thank you, Maya. You're so good to us. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, then I would say have a good negotiation about limits and we do have an episode about that
1: yeah uh, inclusive versus exclusive is particularly a model to consider um,
0: absolutely
1: so for me I use inclusive negotiation with uh, one off play partners and I would only move to um, exclusiveness negotiation in a longer term relationship and right now you're the only person I have that with
0: because you only do it with foxes. No, no. Uh, and then um, that might be less intuitive, but I would recommend also doing good, strong aftercare and debriefing after your scenes. Uh, because if there was an accident, a constant accident within your scene, it is better to catch it early and to follow up and to help the person. And. Yeah, making sure you treat your partner as well after the scenes is going to help you in that area as well, I would say. Um,
1: I'm going to say a couple of extra things here. One is during the scene itself, Mm -hmm. which is probably obvious, but we actually didn't cover it, which is make sure you respect safe words. Uh, Yes. um, (laughs) Make sure that you actually follow the things that you've agreed. Um, Don't ask for new things during the scene. Yeah. that's not so great. Um, and also, all of these apply to both the top and the bottom, both the mm-hmm. dominant and the submissive. So you can have limits as a rigger, as a dominant, just as and your wi- limits can be violated mm-hmm. just as much as you can as a bottom. And, and has been. Bottom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah, the typical case of that uh, would be you negotiate a non-sexual scene uh, and you're, let's say, a male rigger tying a very attractive female bottom, And in the middle, she said, oh, I changed my mind, let's have sexual play. And then, oh, you're fucked, basically. So try to think about that scenario in advance and make sure you know how you would react and tell your partner how you would react. So I tell my partners, like, if we negotiate a non-sexual scene, it's going to be a non-sexual scene. If you find that you're aroused uh, in the middle and you ask for sex, I'm going to say no. We can always renegotiate different terms for the next scene after that. Yeah. But I'm not going to expose myself to the risk of um basically changing negotiations in the middle of rope space and altered like consciousness, consciousness and stuff like I'm not gonna mess with that. Yeah. Alright, enough about the warning uh stuff. <laughs> so how can we tell if a rope scene has power exchange in it or not, Maya?
1: Um um, I don't think we can tell from outside, but we can compare what a rope scene might feel like mm-hmm. and be like with power exchange or without power exchange. Okay. So without power exchange, you could have a rope scene where both partners decided on and designed the tie. So it's a co-creation. Yeah. Um, the communication during the scene um, isn't about safe words. It's about um, just talking. Like mm-hmm. there's no whatever they say like
0: talking freely. Like, ouch, my my wrist is being pinched. Please don't pinch me again.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you can have the bottom, like you're saying, asking for adjustments and expecting them to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and the scene is very much a, a co-creation for mutual enjoyment. It's not um, not something that one person decides on necessarily, and the other person follows. Uh, the two the two people are are equals within the scene.
0: Mm-hmm. Alright. So and to be, to be to be clear, you don't need to check every single one of those boxes, but the more of those you're gonna have, the more it's going to lean towards a non per exchange rope obscene, right?
1: Yeah, and I think the point that you made about um scenes can often feel power exchangey when that hasn't been agreed. The fewer of those that are done, then the more power exchange it will feel even if that's not what you've agreed.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and honestly, I think there is attraction to having some power exchange vibe yep. in scenes <clears throat> that happen outside a power exchange established dynamic, dynamic. But you have to be careful of the gray areas and where things might go yeah. tits yep. up in those.
1: So, what does a power exchange scene look like? I'd say you I have some experience. With I, that.
0: I do have some experience with that. Maya, I would say the majority of my rope has been done in that context. In fact. Um I would say, from my perspective, in a more power exchange rope scene, I will decide what the tie is, I will design it. I might not tell the bottom uh, what is going to happen. I might tell her, okay, you'll be at 8 o'clock in my studio and I'm going to tie you up. Um And then she's coming in not knowing what's going to happen exactly. She, she knows, obviously, that her limits are going to be respected. So if she said no blindfolds and no sex, she knows there would be no blindfolds and no sex, but she doesn't know what's actually going to happen. Um, she might communicate with me in a more uh, limited fashion because we're not interacting as equals. So as we said earlier, she might give me feedback and then I will decide what to do with that feedback. So it won't be like, oh, my leg hurts and tie tired. It will be, sir, my, my leg is hurting, and then I will either decide to entitle or say, well, I want it to hurt, little one. As an example, you know, just an example. an
1: example.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, and there are ways you can um, communicate within a scene while staying within the framework of the power exchange, right, Maya? Yeah, so, so you, know, what, you know, crying what would be and saying, it please, it hurts. are very good. Me, at please, that, uh... I
1: can't take any more with all the tears.
0: That would be... Uh, so if you're, let's say, uh a slave who wants to give feedback to her master during a scene, what what kind of way to phrase it could you use?
1: Um, you could say, this slave's arm is starting to lose circulation, master.
0: And then you've given a piece of feedback, but it's very clear you're still in your role of slave and still respecting your master as such, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's a good one. And the other way around, if the submissive is the rigger and is tying, let's say, his mistress, what could that look like?
1: Um, he could say, uh, my lady, I'm concerned uh, that the way that I tied your arm might be uncomfortable for you. Uh, would you like me to change it?
0: Oh, it's pretty. So yeah, you can you can totally have a power exchange colouring the way you communicate, but still give that feedback and still talk to each other. I'm not saying you need to be a mute and just say for nothing. Because obviously yeah. feedback is important to rope. Uh, then we have to look at the intention of the scene. And I would say there's a tendency with power exchange for the scene to be done more to please the dominant party, Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean that it's not okay for the submissive to like it, because we like our submissives to like rope, honestly.
1: Well, you do sometimes. (laughs) I'm going to argue that maybe you don't always, but yeah.
0: okay. Uh, Then another thing you can do within the framework of power exchange is do a rope scene as a reward to be given to the sub, like She's been good. You like her behavior. You can even offer it as a reward for like I don't know finishing a report maybe.
1: <laughs> Just as an example.
0: Right. And so that can become a tool in your arsenal as a dominant in the same way that you might reward the submissive with uh, the right to orgasm. You might reward them with like leisure time, whatever your dynamic entails. You might also reward them with a nice rope scene. Mm as you know positive reinforcement it's
1: a good good reward i'd say
0: (laughs) (laughs) you seem to be keen on it i do uh and then once again not necessarily specific to power exchange but dominant riggers tend to go hand in hand with more sadistic rope some of the time
1: um yeah i i don't know if it's always like that but because i'm hoping to tie Mm -hmm. with some some people who identify as sadomasochistic but not as dominant. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting one. I I don't know how... I think it's more typical, but I don't think it's, again, the only way. I think that's one of the big messages here, that there might be some more typical things, but that doesn't mean they're the only things, and you Mm -hmm. should absolutely do you.
0: Yeah, and Um, to make make matters worse, you can be a masochistic dominant or you can be a sadistic submissive.
1: Yes, yes. We have friends who... um, are actually both dominant mm-hmm. but they switch in terms of impact specifically
0: yeah so like you need to feel free to be whoever you want to be honestly and whoever you are without people telling you oh, you can be this you can be that like you can be yeah you can be all the colors of the rainbow be a beautiful yeah. unicorn. just
1: because 99 percent of people do things one way doesn't mean that you should do it that way yeah um, so, so that that, that, that being
0: a... said that being said okay. it is possible yeah. For a submissive to be a sadistic rigger, in practice, 99.9% of the time, that's probably not what's going to happen in rope. If you look at the aggregate of all the rope being done all over the world as we speak, which we hope is a lot, we have to admit that the majority is going to be more sadistic dummy tops doing rope yeah. to more submissive, masochist bottoms. But once again, the majority is not the absolute.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so why is that? Do we think there is inherent power exchange in
0: ROP? Well, that's an interesting subject, isn't it? Um, When you are tied up, it alters your ability to physically interact. Would you say that's true? Yes. And so let's say your hands are tied behind your back. You have less freedom. That does put you in a position of practical, less power. Vulnerability. Yeah. Vulnerability. Absolutely. And that is a sensation that seems to be more attractive for submissive bottoms, maybe, to feel that yeah. vulnerability. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: That being said, if you are a dominant bottom and still manage to be dominant even when you're tied up, then you come off as really dominant because even when you're in a position that's classically a position of weakness, you're still strong. So you're like yeah. double the strong.
1: Oh, watch out for weakness and strong. All right. I think that you're going to get letters from submissives saying okay. that just because I'm a submissive doesn't yeah. mean that I'm weak. Okay, Possibly let me let me more.
0: let me qualify <laughs> let me qualify my statement because you're absolutely yeah. right. Um, I mean physical weakness as in ability to defend yourself as in vulnerability, uh, not as in yeah. any other kind of weakness. Definitely, that was a good. I just qualifier. read um,
1: an article on FetLife where someone ripped someone apart for that, so I. <laughs> Yeah. It's okay. In my
0: head. Good. Good job, um, Bunny.
1: And we had um, we had um, those people who listened to the interviews with Cookie Monster, IP Cookie Monster. Um, she talked about a specific scene where she did uh, top from inside the ropes. Mm-hmm. So she was um, actually the person who had the the power, as it were, yeah. in that which was in there inside
0: the ropes. Yeah, that's a great illustration because if I recall, she was topping in a more um psychological fashion, like telling the other person what to do and so on. And yeah. so that's exactly my point. Being tied up might restrain you physically, but psychologically you can still have the upper hand in the scene. You can still yeah. be the dominant person with your thoughts, with your words. And so there is an inherent physical power differential, but not necessarily a mental one.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Now, I'm going to say this. I don't know if there are many dominant rope bottoms out there, but you might want to consider it. (laughs) Because think Uh, of it this way. If you have a submissive rigor at your disposal, you can get all the rope you want, however you want, whenever you want. Wouldn't that be dreamy? (laughs)
1: okay interesting
0: no it's great because it's a guild free rope dispenser too because they actually love servicing you in that way if they are a service oriented submissive
1: that's fine but if you're a submissive yourself then do you order the other submissive to dom you in that scene as well like that gets into a bit of complexity
0: I think potentially you can and and one fault in the way we've been talking in this episode so far is we talk of submissive as what a person is, but you can be submissive to one person and dominant to another.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's very much true. You're
0: not, not stamped at birth with a submissive stamp and then you're submissive to everyone. So you yeah. could... I mean, actually, that is the scenario I had in mind, uh, which is the person who used to be my slave and moved on to be someone's mistress and since she loved rope, she ordered her slave to tie her up in the ways that she enjoyed.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, and then uh, you get to order them to go educate themselves about rope, to learn yeah. the style that you like. So you can build your own Barbie doll or Ken doll rigger with exactly <laughs> the rope that you want to have.
1: So maybe oh, consider
0: it for a second. Interesting. Right?
1: Uh I don't think I've got the energy for a submissive. They sound like a lot of work.
0: They are <laughs> you have no idea.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> um so I think the way that you come to rope, this is this is a theory of mine, mm-hmm. um, affects this idea of whether there's inherent power exchange. So we've talked about you and I, um, even in our scenes with other people, there being mm-hmm. an element of that. Yeah, power mostly exchange. mostly
0: I come to rope by walking.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you mean um, the origin
0: story that you have? Right?
1: Yeah, I mean the way that you mm-hmm. initially encountered rope or why you chose to do mm-hmm. rope. So for me, um, rope was one of the kinks that I started with when I started mm-hmm. actually practicing kink. Well, when I started practicing kink in the community, mm-hmm. um, and that's because I came through a lot of submissive fantasies. Like you came a that. lot
0: through them. Regularly and many many times. Anyway,
1: so um, I was coming from you know having read all the classic uh, Anne Rice's and the story of O and um, various other mm-hmm. um, DS type erotica. So so for me, I was already coming to it through that. I wasn't coming, as some people do, for art, for photos, for beauty. Like if you look at a lot of people who are coming into the rope scene now, um, they're often coming through um, uh, stretching or acrobatics or the beauty mm-hmm. of the photos. Like it's a different place um, to come in. And and I was wanted to reference um, Miss Bop's writing on Life, which I'll uh, put into the
0: show notes. Mm-hmm. Who's our friend, she came visit us in Thailand, and so should She you.
1: did, and she's, yeah, she did. Um, so she did a great writing the other day uh, around power exchange and rope, mm-hmm. um, and she defined three areas. Um, as, as the three reasons that people do rope. So the first one is athletics and empowerment, mm-hmm. um, which is much more that kind of photos, beauty, no power exchange at all. Yeah. The second one is eroticism and sadomasochism, where there is some power exchange, um, defined, undefined, like it's a kind of middle area. Yeah. And then the third area, she defines as service and submission, which is essentially giving yourself over to someone So that's involved. the
0: full-on power exchange.
1: Yeah. So I think you and I dabble in number two with most mm-hmm. of our partners. Yeah. And we are three with each other and maybe a very small number of other people. And then one is not so much something we do, but we have... There are people that we've done. Certainly I've done some photos... And you work with someone doing more um, health stretching stuff, so that would be that first area. But generally, we're in number two, I think. Yeah, say- I
0: would I would agree with that. Um, I would agree with that uh, qualification. And as as you'll see if you do read that writing and my comments on it, I don't know to what extent the more health aspect fits into the athletics and empowerment, but it fits more in that one than in the other two for sure. I yeah. put it
1: under empowerment because yeah. it's the the bottom taking. Ownership of her, like.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Body and being empowered to be healthier through.
0: And honestly, world. you kind of have to put it into athletics, given it's happening with a person who's a professional <laughs> given athlete. She's an and, actor, but, yeah, 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 all right. Yeah. So definitely, yeah, more in that. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that um, qualification. Yeah. So, what if someone has, like you did, a fantasy around uh, being and being in rope? What would you advise that they do as their first steps?
1: Um, I think that's that's fine. But like we were saying earlier, I think the subby bottom still needs to do their due diligence and educate mm. themselves, do research, and take personal responsibility and accountability for the risks that they're taking. Don't just hand all the risk over to the top, especially without discussion. Mm. Um, if you're tying with someone uh, for both your sakes, you need to understand that if you... Do arm rope, you have a higher risk of um, wrist drop, for mm-hmm. example. All right. Uh, and that it's more dangerous or, you know, you need to understand the ties that you're doing. And I just don't think some people do, and that, that concerns me.
0: <laughs> All right. That's uh, that's fair, I would say.
1: So what's our experience? We've, we've touched on it um, at various points. So let's tell me about your experience of yeah,
0: as you said, my style is very colored by power exchange because I learned rope when I was a master and I had a slave who loved to be tied up. And at first I had her um, tied up by other riggers so she could get to enjoy it. And then eventually I was like, well, I'm really in love with that woman and uh, I would like to give her that experience myself. And that's how I got started. And that's how I got the virus. And, hmm. and obviously I you liked it. turned out you I liked too. it a lot. <laughs> But yeah, I definitely came from a very deep uh, power exchange background and my slave was super uh, important and useful in my learning of rope because she had rigor skills herself and so she gave me pointers, she gave me um, information and imparted some knowledge while also managing to do that completely within the framework of her being my slave. So that definitely colored my rope style to a more power exchange one. Mm. And then recently, I've been learning to do rope with little or no power exchange at all, like the uh, the person we've been mentioning. And so that required some adjusting for me, but it allows me to experience rope in a broader scope and spectrum, I would say. So that's interesting. Mm.
1: It's freed you, I think, a little bit to, to play in different ways, mm-hmm. but it's taken a bit of effort from you to kind of change your mentality.
0: And also, to be honest, it allows me to do more rope because I can always use more rope. And, like, I do one type of rope with one person and then another type of rope with another person. And that brings me more variety. And then I feel like I want to do rope even more. (laughs) So that's interesting. Okay. What about you, Maya? Um,
1: Well, we talked about where I had my kind of original uh, interest in rope. Mm -hmm. And... um, I, in fact, the first p- event that was a play party that I went to was the slave auction, and as mm-hmm. listeners will probably know, um, the first thing that I did, the first lot at the auction was you, yeah, and I bought you, so, <laughs> so I effectively bought my first rigor as slave auction, which is a kind of random, um, thing to do, yeah. um, but. I guess you then became my dominant as well. So the fact that my first rigger became my dominant is also obviously gonna colour my hmm. rope because most of the I tie with a lot of people, but I do most of my rope with you.
0: Right, hmm. that's. And you tend to yeah. be pretty subby when you're in rope, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, it's definitely different with you than it is with other people. Um, but it's also about how it's negotiated um I have come to like more controlling painy rope Mm -hmm. and so that I think does come does often come with a more power exchangey vibe um and usually in my negotiation I'll say okay this is what I'm okay with and I'm okay for you to lead the scene and I will have safe words but I also expect my the people I play with in that way to to respect my just general words. Like if I say this is hurting, I need to come out of the rope. um, In that um, scenario, I would expect them to respect that. I wouldn't have to safe word, although I would use my safe words because they're quick.
0: Mm. All right. So we are a 24-7 dominant submissive couple, Maya.
1: We are,
0: yes. So it affects our rope in a number of ways, some of them with... uh touched on already but i would say like in general we go a bit harder together than we do with other people right
1: yeah i think so um for sure i would take more pain with you than i would with anyone else um mm. and i would push myself more that um we did a scene recently where i was like crying with the pain it was
0: which was lovely. <laughs> we liked it do that. which um, was a yeah
1: a photo partial mm-hmm. with a lot of stretching and pulling and you putting
0: weight on me and oh, it's super painful. Yeah. We um, tend, uh, we act a bit as uh, rope accomplices and we tend to try new things for the first time together but we don't want to make that a rule because making that a hard and fast rule can be frustrating or disappointing sometimes and sometimes, for instance, you've like tied a new harness for the first time with another rigger and then brought it back into our practice. Yeah. And so, we want often to... often we lab yeah, we, we, we are we are very much labbing partners in addition to all the rest, but we don't want to be too close to other people either, I think.
1: Yeah, and we often do some of the more extreme stuff with our, each other first, or we work it through together yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. And we often talk about scenes we're going to do with other people with each other to kind of check risks or like yeah. as a bouncing off each other.
0: Absolutely, as, as a supporting each other kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And then, lastly, I would say an, an aspect that comes from the power exchange is that you uh, clean up after the scenes, you tidy and cord the rope and do the rope care for me, and so on. So, that's quite a strong um, service aspect to our relationship yeah. as well.
1: Yeah. The other thing is that I do work with you, I don't like sometimes. Yeah. Like that, I would not do that with anyone else.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's different like to role, enjoy something and sometimes. to consent to something for sure.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's quite a big thing. I'm not sure everyone gets that. Mm.
0: All right. All good. So that's all from us today at the Rope Podcast.
1: Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. So iTunes, Stitcher and come find us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast.
0: Yeah. And also maybe consider supporting us through our Patreon because that is very helpful in order to keep putting up episodes like this one all the time. Uh, We also love questions from you, our dear listeners. So please drop us a message on FetLife and we will try to answer you in an upcoming episode.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: And have fun tying.